Chapter 144 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 144 The Star Hotel and the stranger's arrival, a remarkable countenance, the illness and death of the stranger, a strange request complied with. Some days previous to the scene related in the previous chapter, the London coach drove up opposite to the Star Hotel, and, as usual, out came a couple of waiters to see what there was from the metropolis in the shape of a passenger who might become an inmate of the hotel, and a customer, of course. "'Now then, Billy,' said the guard, a stout, good-humoured fellow, to a very stiff and punctilious waiter, dressed in black, with a white neckerchief. "'My good friend, my name is William. If you must be familiar, though, I am sure I don't number you among my acquaintances.' "'Very good, Billy. I declare you are one of the politest waiters that is to be found between Portsmouth and London. Eh, and more than that, you are the politest.' "'Didn't you say you were educated among a lot of gals? Or young ladies, I mean?' "'I never held any discourse relative to my early days with you, my friend. I am not just this moment aware of it. "'Ah, I see you are too polite to pass an east wind without taking your hat off to it. How do they when they have none?' "'Have you anybody for us?' said William mildly. "'Yes, my pink eye have. Who is he, and where is he?' I must not waste my master's time. It is an impropriety I am especially anxious to avoid. You needn't be in a hurry, nevertheless, especially as I see he is fumbling about for small change. But what will you say if I introduce a customer to you, a good six foot high, and perhaps a little to spare, and the color of a well-scraped horseradish, eh? What do you say to that, my prom rose? William did not know what to say, but after a moment's hesitation, he said, We don't charge our customers by the room they take, or by their personal appearance. A gentleman is a gentleman, Mr. Guard, all the same whether he have a red face or a white one. Well, that's good, Billy, but the chief thing is, after all, of what color his money, and how he parts with it, eh? The guard winked, and William's impassive features were lit up with a spark of intelligence and vivacity, which, however, was only transient, and he relapsed into his old state of extreme and unimpeachable gentility. "'Hold your tongue, Billy. Here he comes.' At that moment the gentleman pulled down the window and said to the guard, "'Open the door, if you please. I shall get out here.' "'Yes, sir,' said the guard, who immediately obeyed the injunction and a tall but awfully pale individual descended the steps, wrapped up in a huge cloak, so that but little of his person was seen, or features either. What little there was visible was not prepossessing by any means by the color. "'This is the star,' said the stranger, inquiringly. "'Yes,' said the guard. "'I'll stop here. Are you the waiter?' said he, addressing William. "'I am, sir,' said William. "'Will you walk this way, sir?' "'Yes. Show me into a private apartment. Let me have a good fire, for I am exceedingly cold.' 
William immediately took him into a room where there was a fire, saying, If you please, remain here, sir. We will make you a fire and warm the room, and as you are cold, perhaps you will prefer this to going into a room without a fire there already lighted for your reception. Certainly I much prefer it. Would you like to take any refreshment, sir? inquired William. Not now, replied the stranger, in mild accents. William left the room, muttering to himself, Well, he deserves to be a prince. He is as mild and gentlemanly as a prince. I vow I never heard any one speak in such a tone, and with so much amiable condescension. What a pity he is so white, at least that he is so. I only infer from the nose, and part of the forehead, and cheeks around the eyes, these being the only parts that I have noticed. He is, indeed, not much unlike, in color, to the guard's vulgar simile, a well-scraped horseradish. I never saw white so opaque and dead before. While these thoughts passed through the mind of William, he saw the apartment was placed in readiness for the stranger's reception, and placed himself in communication with the proprietor, and obtained his orders, and then returned to the stranger, and conducted him to his proper apartment, and then awaited his commands. The stranger gave him some orders, which were at once executed, and then he said, I shall sleep here, of course. Yes, sir, said William. I am very particular about my beds. I must have my bed well and thoroughly aired. Oh, yes, sir, said William. We always... Never mind, never mind all that, said the stranger blandly. Never mind all that. I know what you would say. All your beds are always aired. Well, be it so, I have no desire to dispute it. But I once slept in a damp bed. I felt ill, and have never entirely recovered from it. Oh, that makes him look so horrible pale, thought William. So you perceive, my friend, that I have cause to be particular, and therefore you will excuse me when I inquire minutely into the character of the beds. Oh, certainly, sir. Certainly, sir. Then you will see that my bed is aired, will you not? Yes, sir, I will take care that it is especially aired, and if you approve my doing so, sir, I will have a fire lit in your bedroom. If you please. If you will do all this, you will greatly oblige me. Are there any females in the family? Y yes, sir, the servants, said William, fearing some impropriety was meant. Oh, the servants, and no others? None, said William, quite suddenly. Oh, yes, that is right, none but the servants. Then my requests will not put you at any serious inconvenience? Not in the least, sir, said William, pleased to find that the females had only been inquired about for fear of annoying them. The stranger sat up in his room, and appeared to be very ill, and ate and drank but little. Though he ordered whatever was requisite for a liberal individual, and though taken away untouched, yet it was clearly understood he would have to pay for it. The bed was used and approved of, and the tall, remarkable-looking stranger expressed himself satisfied to the proprietor of the hotel, who came to inquire if he should desire anything more or different from what was already done. This was at once answered in the negative, and the proprietor retreated by no means prepossessed in the stranger's personal appearance, which was remarkable to a degree that was noticed by everyone in the hotel. "'Winchester is an old town, a city, sir,' said the proprietor, by way of entering into a conversation with his guest. 
Yes, very old, said the guest. And the cathedral, sir, has been built in part ever since the Saxon times, and then increased by the Normans. Ay, it is very beautiful. One could wish to lie there, it is so calm and beautiful, said the stranger, with a shudder, which he endeavored to suppress, and then he added, The graveyard is quiet and retired. Yes, sir, you have been at Winchester before? I have, replied the stranger. Finding any further attempt at conversation likely to appear intrusive, the landlord quitted the apartment with a bow, which was condescendingly returned by the guest, who folded his hands one over the other and turned towards the fire, upon which he gazed thoughtfully for some time in silence. The strange and ghastly-looking countenance of the stranger had created quite a sensation among the individuals at the hotel, all of them declaring they never heard of or saw anything equal to it in all their lives. But what was it? How did it happen so? They had seen dead men, but they had never seen any so ghastly and so fearfully pale. He doesn't seem long for this world, said one of them. If you had said he didn't belong to this world, said another, I should have been inclined to believe you. He does look like a corpse, added an old woman. Yes, and what a tooth he has projecting out in front. Upon my word, I have never saw his like. And I, said another, never beheld such eyes. Why, he is scarcely human. Such eyes as those I scarcely wish to look at again. He always appears to me to be in some dreadful agony, said the cook. He really looks as if he had a perpetual pain in his stomach and had eaten something that had disgraced with him. There was some truth in this last assertion for the stranger always did appear as if suffering from some internal pain, mental or physical, or both. And it was soon seen that he was rapidly losing strength and could scarcely walk abroad. The cause of all this none could tell. Possibly it was only a sudden illness, or perhaps it was a long affliction to which he was used to, and hence the terrible expression upon his countenance which appeared as if it had never been otherwise, so deep and so settled was the expression of pain. The stranger appeared anxious to get out, but was unable to do so. He could just walk across the room several times in the day, but was unable to get downstairs, and whenever he attempted to do so, he sunk down, his limbs losing the power of sustaining his weight. "'I can go no further,' he muttered to himself, as he endeavored to walk down the stairs. I am lost. As he spoke, a truly horrible expression came across his countenance that made William, who came to his aid, step back, terrified. Y you, you are ill, sir, he said in somewhat uncertain accents. I am ill, he replied, very ill. Will you allow me to help you up, sir, to your room? If you please, said the stranger who was endeavoring to rise by the aid of the banisters, and by these, and with William's assistance, he got up, and then, with some difficulty, he reached upstairs, his own bedroom. "'I will send Master immediately, sir.' "'You need not be in any hurry,' said the stranger. "'I do not desire his presence.' However, William left the stranger to seek his master, and when he found him, he said, "'Oh, sir, the strange-looking gentleman in number five is very ill.' "'Is he, William?' What is the matter with him? I am sure I don't know, sir. He sank down the stairs just now, and could only get up to his room again by my help. Something serious, I think, then. I thought he appeared ill when I first saw him from the expression of his countenance. 
Yes, sir, tis very strange. Very, said the landlord thoughtfully. I'll go and see him, but in the meantime you had better send for Dr. Linton, who knows me and will come at once. Yes, sir, said William. The landlord immediately sought the stranger's apartment, which he entered without any ceremony, and advanced to the bed in which the stranger lay, and upon his first glance at the occupant the landlord stepped back in a fright, so truly terrible did the countenance of the stranger appear. Ah, said the stranger, as he turned his glassy eyes upon him, I, I have come to see you, stammered the landlord. I have come to see you. My servant informed me you were ill. I am very ill. I feared so, and I have sent for Dr. Linton, who will be here immediately. It is of no consequence, I believe. I am too far gone to recover. Another horrible spasm passed across his countenance. What does your illness arise from? decay of the system. I want renovating, said the stranger. The landlord paused. He didn't understand this at all, for the stranger did not bear the appearance of decay about him. He was tall and seemingly of middle age, he thought, and nothing about him to savor of decay, save indeed the terrible and remarkable paleness which his flesh appeared to bear, and his system generally, in other respects, bore nothing of the appearance of the general decay. "'Shall I send for any one, sir? Have you any friends I could write to for you?' "'None, sir, thank you,' replied the stranger, who, however, bated nothing of his politeness, even in his present position. "'Have you any desire to see any one in particular?' "'No one, I thank you.' At that moment Dr. Linton was announced, and the proprietor, having introduced him, left the apartment, leaving the doctor and his patient together, the former at once perceived and wondered at his extraordinary paleness. After a few preliminary questions, he appeared quite puzzled, and said to him, "'May I inquire what is the cause of this extraordinary complexion?' "'Certainly,' said the stranger. "'It was caused by damp beds.' "'Damp beds,' muttered the doctor, amazed, and hardly comprehending what was said or the nature of the reply, he was at a loss, but did not say so. What was the connection between cause and effect? Yes, damp beds, said the stranger. Have you ever suffered in this way before? inquired the surgeon. Yes, more than once. And have you ever recovered? said the doctor abstractedly. I am here, said the stranger mildly. Truly you are, said the surgeon. I had almost forgotten that. Your case is so singular. You pulse is very low and irregular. It is, coolly replied the stranger, but immediately a kind of spasm shot across him, as he had before exhibited to the landlord. Do you feel much pain? Does it happen often? No, only occasionally. I don't think you are at all likely to benefit me, sir, said the stranger, with much more courtesy in his manner. I do not mean any disrespect to you. But my complaint is a fatal one in our family. Are you all afflicted in this manner? Yes, all before me died, replied the stranger. And when it does come on, we have no means of avoiding the end that approaches. There is no medical aid that can be rendered ever did us any good. You are quite an exception to nature, said the medical man. Quite an exception. Your case cannot be beyond the assistance of medicine, if not cure to ameliorate, though its nature may not be ascertained. 
but if we could do so, we could tell you what we might be able to do. That has been attempted before, said the stranger mildly, and hence it is I am loath to give you needless trouble. Well, I will call upon you and see you again, but you ought to take some medicine. I am persuaded that it is some great and extraordinary derangement of the system, a complete sinking of the whole system. Most undoubtedly it is a sinking of the whole system, a sinking which has never yet been stopped by human aid. But you can pursue what course you may deem proper. Will you take medicines if I send any? Yes, replied the patient. I will take them when you choose to send them. I will endeavor to send you something that shall infuse something like vitality into the system. That will help you to rally. That will indeed be doing something more than was ever yet done by any one who attended any individual of our family. I feel I am very weak, and am sinking fast, and do not expect that I shall again have the honor of seeing you. As he again spoke, the same spasm seized upon him. His frame was convulsed for more than a minute, and his pallid features appeared to give forth expressions which it was impossible to describe. The doctor paused, and gazed with something like fear and awe upon him. He had never before seen such a case so destitute of facts, nor yet such a man. It was quite beyond his experience. There was nothing like it in all his previous experience. There was no apparent cause for all that he saw. It might be some severe chronic disorder which did not manifest itself outwardly. If this were the case, it was most extraordinary. But more extraordinary than all was, apart from the medical question, the strange and terrible appearance of the stranger. His paleness, the terrible expression of his features, the strange and even revolting cast of his eyes, the completely baffled all his attempts to understand them, or to remember anything he had ever heard of or seen. The stranger languidly turned in his bed, and then closed his eyes, leaving his medical attendant to his reflections. Well, muttered Dr. Lytton, as he looked at his incomprehensible patient, I never met with so fearful a human puzzle before. I never saw such an expression of countenance in all my life, nor did ever I meet with such a case. Had he been one of the fabled monsters of old, the creation of the German mind, he could not have been more unlike a human being to wear a human form. As he spoke, he quitted the room, and made his way to the proprietor of the hotel, who was as anxiously waiting to see him as he was to meet him. "'Well, doctor, what do you think of the patient?' "'Why, I don't know what to think. I, I never saw such a man before in all my life. I cannot make him out. Nor I. I can't understand what he means or what he is. Nor anybody else. But he is quite a gentleman. And yet there is something very frightful to be seen in him. I don't know why it is.' I don't care about going oftener to him than I am obliged. I don't doubt it. There was something in the feel of his hand more of a corpse than anything I ever felt before. Indeed, it is a queer affair. Do you know him? No, I do not, replied the proprietor. He has not been here more than two days, and when he entered he had that deadly paleness which he has now. Did he indeed? It is, I dare say, natural to him though it must create an unpleasant sensation, go where he would. He must feel it to be so, no doubt, but, at the same time, he could not avoid it, 
have you come to any conclusion respecting his complaint if not indeed i will send him some medicine though to tell you the truth i can hardly tell you what is the matter with him his disorders seem to consist of a rapid sinking of the whole system accompanied by a few minor symptoms and a spasm which must be very painful for it produces an extraordinary effect upon his visage and his eyes glisten like a piece of tin that's it doctor do you know i have been thinking for some for something to which i could liken those eyes to but could not do it when do you see him again to-morrow some time in the meantime i must bid you good day for my presence is wanted in the dundrum family oh have you any of them for a patient yes two good day good day good day doctor said the proprietor of the hotel as he bowed the doctor out and then returning to his own apartment he wondered in his own mind at all that had been said by the learned individual when william entered his room with a hastiness of manner quite unusual to him what is the matter william oh sir i beg your pardon but the strange gentleman eh well what w why he's dying and he, he wants to see you sir to see me william in dying yes sir it's very sudden but good lord how dreadful he looks he clasped his hands and shook it made the bed shake and the windows rattle just as if an earthquake were taking place goodness me muttered the proprietor who immediately quitted the apartment and followed william to that of the stranger who lay in the same attitude as that described by william but he was evidently endeavouring to repress all nervous emotion and by the time he was spoken to he succeeded in this end endeavour completely and lay apparently calm and collected for the landlord's appearance i believe you sent for me said that worthy in a subdued tone yes i wish to speak a word to you before i die die said the landlord with a start no no you cannot mean that you will get better you are deceived no no do not endeavour to persuade me from believing what i know is truth i shall die and that too before many hours if the case is so urgent let me send to mr linton he cannot have gone far and he will return nay do not do that his aid is utterly useless utterly he is a clever man but still if your own feelings tell you that you can't live allow me to send for a clergyman my friend said the stranger i have settled all that in my own mind my affairs are all made up my account is cast and i shall learn the balance where i am going to i wish while i have breath to beg a favour of you anything on earth that i can do i will said the landlord nay i do not decline all that i i, I only want you t to promise me you'll you'll attend my funeral all shall be done as you desire my breath i, f I feel it going i have money enough about me you will find my pocket-book and purse a certain sum yes sir yes and with that you will have the goodness to liquidate my debt to yourself my funeral expenses and place the residue of that sum about my person when you are dead exclaimed the landlord yes will you promise me will you swear to see it done yes i will i, I do swear see you keep the oath my breath is going fast my strength is leaving me and and i will do all said the landlord again will you have any friend attend your funeral obsequies it's melancholy but i am obliged to speak of it to you because i cannot otherwise know your wishes 
Do not mind that, said the stranger, turning towards the landlord. But when I am dead, dress me in my clothes, just as if I were about to walk. Let me have all my property and my money, such of it as remains after paying all charges, the remainder caused to be placed about my person. In fact, all that belongs to me and place me and place me 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 where where would you be buried said the landlord place me gasped the dying man place me in th the a gurgling noise succeeded by a sharp rattle in the throat was all the sound that escaped him while his glazed eyes were fixed with a truly horrifying expression upon the features of the landlord whose presence of mind appeared to forsake him. And he exclaimed, falling on his knees, affright, Lord, have mercy on us! What a dreadful affair! Horrible, sir, said William. Oh, are you here, William? inquired the landlord. Yes, sir, replied that individual. Oh, I'm glad of that. Did you see him die? I did, sir. How dreadful! Very, but I am glad you were here, because he has made some singular requests about burying him and in a certain manner, with all his clothes on, and his jewels and money about him. Now I should be considered foolish if I did anything of the kind, but I have promised, as he has no friends, I will do what I have promised. It is very good of you, sir, though I think he has been very silly in making such a request. Yet you cannot be so considered for performing the wish of a dying man. It is the duty of any one so promising to perform it. Quite right, William, quite right. But did you understand what he meant by his last words? I mean, where he wished to be buried? I don't know positively, but I think he meant the cathedral. I thought so, at least. I am not sure he said so, but I believe he meant to do so. Well, I think so myself, and in the cathedral he shall be buried. But it is a terrible-looking corpse. I sure I could not sleep in the same room with him, poor fellow. What'll come to at last there is no telling. Yes, sir, he does look dreadful. You needn't tell anybody we have a dead customer in the hotel, William. No, sir, because people might be curious and wish to see him, and if they were to do so, I'm sure they would leave the house. So they would, sir. He's a dreadful-looking corpse. I never heard of such a one. What can be the cause of it? And to be buried in his clothes, too? Ay, and his money and his jewels, that is very strange. Very strange, sir, indeed. And the fewer persons who know of it, the better, else the body will not lie very long in its grave. There will be those who would not mind turning resurrection men for the value of what he had about him. So there would be, William, and now I think of it, the authorities of the cathedral shall know nothing about it. For who can tell what fancy they may take concerning it being an unchristian burial? And yet, sir, he paid all of his debts like a Christian. Yes, and left a remembrance for the waiter. There could not be a more Christian act than that, for who could be more Christian-like than to remember the waiter? And William at once admitted the truth of the assertion, and they both left the room, and instructions were given to William to obtain the proper aid respecting the funeral, and an order was given to the undertaker to come and measure the corpse for its last garment. All these things were duly attended to and kept secret, so that a very few persons were aware of the fact that so strange an occurrence had taken place in the good city of Winchester, 
much less were they acquainted with the precise locality of the very house in which the occurrence took place when the morning arrived on which the funeral was to take place some persons were surprised to behold a couple of mutes standing side by side at the door of the star hotel and there had been no previous sign of mourning the hearse at one mourning coach however was all that attended into which one solitary mourner entered there were several others made up for the occasion to give the cavalcade an uniform appearance the body was carried down by eight men it was very heavy and the men bent beneath the load they bore and when it was placed in the hearse the one mourner got in and they proceeded towards the cathedral which was quite close at hand a few very few minutes served to bring them to the goal and before the entrance of the cathedral they stopped and out came the undertakers who contrived with much exertion to carry the body into the church and then after some preliminary ceremonies it was conducted into the vaults where it was deposited and the burial service was said over it most duly and solemnly and then left it was presumed safe and secure to abide its final doom at the day of judgment but many thoughts prove but the shadow of our wishes and this seemed to be as a mocking shadow as our readers are aware by this time of what actually took place in the dead of the night in what name was the deceased registered the, the burial i mean inquired the clergyman whose memory like some of his other faculties was obscured by age his name was francis varney replied the chief mourner who was no other than the proprietor of the star hotel End of chapter 144